Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Spark Hub podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about music and the opportunity that is learning music with somebody named, aptly named, Dan the Piano Man. Now, quick story. Several years ago, someone on Facebook near in our where we live put a piano up saying we need to get rid of this old piano, come and get it for free. So I managed to muster a few muscly men in a van and we transported this this piano into our house uh, 500 meters down the road. And it's been sitting in our house ever since. And it's been a godsend for us because our kids run up and sort of plunk on it and plink on it. Now, not everyone can get a free piano on Facebook. I grant you that. However, learning music in childhood pays huge dividends and has really far-reaching applications in adulthood. Not only is music a deep-rooted human trait, but it can also be a tool for STEM subjects, so for science and technology and math and all the things that are sort of championed in school these days and measured. As you'll hear in this episode, music has played a huge role in my life. I don't play music anymore, but I did learn it as a child and in high school, and you'll hear the benefits of it in this chat. Um, it also plays a massive role in, in our child's life as well. However, we're going to get into the fact that despite being a skill that can spark opportunities in the fuller span of one's life, music is often a low priority at schools when budgets are being thinned. And of course, there are alternatives to that. There's the private tutor route, uh, there's online tools that have proliferated, and we're going to get into all of that in this discussion with Dan the Piano Man to find out how music can spark massive opportunities in adulthood. As ever, if you want to dive into more, please look into the show notes below this episode. And at the end, um, I'm going to play a little clip of my son, who's nine, playing uh, on a bike on piano, a tune that he learned from the man we're about to speak to. So now, enjoy our discussion with Dan, the Piano Man. Hey, Dan, welcome to the Spark Hub podcast. Uh, appreciate you taking the time today. And I think uh, what I want to pick your brain on today is how do we spark an interest in music, particularly in kids of a, of a younger age? There's definitely been a lot of technological change, a lot of cultural change. And so where does music kind of sit within that? I have my own philosophies, having done a lot of music in my, in my own time and how it's paid off for me as an adult in terms of, of even if you're not a musician, how that kind of pays forward as you grow. But as is tradition, I'd love to open, uh, if you don't mind, with, uh, with a quote that you bring about uh, what you do. And um, let's hear it. Okay, so I've kind of cheated a little bit because I suppose as a musician, rather than a quote, I've gone for a lyric. And it's, I, I was thinking about this before today, and this is what kept coming back in my head. And it's a lyric that's always from a song that's been a big part of everything I suppose I've done. So being a pianist, being a singer, I've gone... I suppose a bit stereotypical. I've gone out and John, and I'm going to go um, with the first line of his chorus of your song. So, and you can tell everybody this is your song, and that's something that often comes back to me whenever I'm out, either gigging, performing, teaching, or anything like that. It's it's about your song, about giving something. So, yeah, you can tell everybody this is your song. I mean, I could do the whole song, but that line particularly is one that sticks. That's a great one, and I, I think what it what sparks for me is originality. Like you say, you put your fingerprint on something. This is your song. This is your work. This is your so great, great quote. And uh, I suppose to start off, would you mind giving giving me a little bit of a, an overview of where you've come from? You know how you've come up, how you've ended up in the music business, and then uh, we'll, we'll dive into some other stuff. So, yeah, accidentally to a point. I mean, I had, as people would refer to it, proper jobs about fifteen years ago when I was working in. The retail industry uh, within learning and development, 
So I was training people in customer service and management skills. Always in the background, I've been playing the piano since I was six. So I've had the piano there as a skill since, you know, I was very lucky that my mum got me into it at a young age. So always having that in the background, doing amateur dramatics, performing with bands and stuff. But career-wise, it was never an option for me. I didn't want it to have to pay the bills um, because it was what I went to after the thing I'd done to pay the bills. It was my release. And then I got fed up with being made redundant. I think I got made redundant about three times in four years from being in the private sector. And somebody said to me, you know, well, why don't you give it a go? And then an opportunity arose to become a rock choir leader of the national organization that is rock choir. That was a self-employed position. So that was the leap I needed. I then got made redundant one last time. I was going to kind of keep rock choir going in the background. And then this kind of pushed me to kind of go at it full pelt. So rock choir started. And then from there, it was building up the private piano lessons, building up the work within schools and every other opportunity that kind of came my way. I kind of jumped at it and, and, you know, that would say, I'm trying to think how many years ago, sort of 12 years ago, it tends to be what I say, but I think it might be an even longer than that. Um, and kind of built it up from there. And as I said, and it's all been about opportunity more than anything, sort of grabbing things as they've kind of come along. There's an expression that Steve Jobs, uh, who founded Apple, said is that you, you can never connect the dots looking forward, but you can always connect the dots looking backwards. And it sounds like there were a few uh, clear signs. Uh, I personally can relate to being made redundant. I worked in marketing for a very long time, and every year I didn't know if I'd have a job for the next year. And then I took a bet on myself and, and went into the startup world. And, and to reflect on your, uh, on your John Lennon thing, I wanted to create my song rather than sort of keep supporting others. But that's fascinating. So for 12 years, you've built essentially a, a music business. And you now, obviously, as you say, have different products, if I can call it that. You've got private yeah, yeah. lessons and schools and and is it in demand? It seems like you're a busy guy. You know, I'm glad I got your time today, but it seems like yeah. you're a busy guy. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing now is just having done it for so long is, and it, it might sound a bit wrong to say it, but I tend to pick and choose. So, you know, the nice thing is now is because I've built up sort of various parts of it that I'm now at, an, you know, a stage where I've got the right level of teaching against the right level of other opportunities. So, you know, I teach for a bit and I get the, that gives me the opportunity to then go and play with some bands or do some performing which then gives me an opportunity to maybe go into a school to do something. Um, so it's, it's one thing leads to the other. And obviously my rock choirs are still there in the background as, you know, the thing that I sort of do every week. And they give, and then from that, that spurs opportunities to go and perform with them and obviously the weekly rehearsals. So, yeah, lots of different things that kind of form, I suppose, what is Dan the Piano Man. I suppose that's the overriding name oh, I give Dan it all. Dan the Piano Man. I love, yeah, I love the name Dan of Dan the, the Piano Man. But if, if we can... If we can, again, look backwards. So right now you're sitting here, you're, you're running a successful uh, business. You are clearly happy because you, you, know, you get to do the things you love. You have time to do the things you love. Um, it's nice to be able to do something that you love full time. What's that, what's that expression? If you, were, if you uh, love what you do, you never work a day in your life uh, thing. And, and it's wonderful that you got there. But it sounds like we could backtrack to the, the moment that sparked that journey, which would have been, I guess, when you're six and when you, when you would have had a piano. So how did you sort of take to that instrument first? Was it just because it was there or? Yeah, I mean, my mum my mum uh, got left a piano. Um, well, the story goes, my mum got left a grand piano by her grandma. So it would have been my great-grandma, who apparently I only ever met once. So my mum got left her grandma's grand piano. But the problem was, is my mum lived in a two-up, two-down property in the middle of Chelmsford, and the grand piano wouldn't go through the front door, let alone sit in any kind of room within it. So she sold that and bought the upright piano that my mum's still got to this day. So it's moved with her as my mum's moved, and obviously I've grown up playing it, and my younger brother grew up playing it as well. And at the age of six, 
Um, my mum got me piano lessons with um, a lady I'm still in touch with now, um, Leslie Foster, um, who happened to be the mum of also my best friend at school. So the incentive was is I could have my piano lesson and then I could go and play with my friend for the rest of the afternoon. So that was always the kind of the thing that got me to my piano lessons initially. I had lessons with her all the way through my sort of younger years up to teenage years. And then when I hit A-level music, um, it became easier to actually do piano lessons at school with the teacher that was there because I could spend more time sort of one-to-one time through my A-levels there and sort of continued lessons for another couple of years. Uh, And then kind of when I left school, I stopped having lessons. Um, For me, and this isn't an encouragement to any children to go giving up their piano lessons, clearly, but for me, it's because I started to enjoy playing and performing a lot more and actually didn't feel at the time that I necessarily need to have lessons and felt that I was learning more through gigging and performing and I was playing in church at the time as well. And I was getting just as much as that as I was from any kind of weekly lessons. So I kind of took the decision at that point, which, you know, mumming, you know, mum encouraged to a point and it was never, was never forced to have lessons. So when I was then giving them up, it was never a, like an argument with any kind of parent or anybody like that. It was no, the time is right. And kind of off I went. And that's, you know, that's kind of where I was musically at that point. But as I said, it was always a background thing whilst I was seeking other I suppose, career opportunities, which ended up being learning and development and things like that. So it was always in the background. It seemed really. to be very foundational to whatever you do. Um, and it seems, uh, you know, from what you've described, Dan, it seems like it was a rock that you could you could launch other things off of, but fundamentally you'd always come back to the rock, which, which brings up two big questions for me as a parent. Now, obviously, full disclosure, you teach my son piano, which is wonderful, and we managed in a, in a similar way. We may not have had a piano, but someone down the street from us had to get rid of one. And essentially it ended up in our house that way. It was out of tune. It's banged up, but we, we gave it a little love and care. And my son plays it most days now. And obviously you teach him once a week. And I think he learns at school as well, but he's got, he's got a fascination with music. And when I was growing up, I didn't have the exposure both you and him had um, at the young age. But when I got to high school, I chose music and I went to a school that, that championed music. And I was in the school band. So I played jazz, I played orchestra. And what that generated for me was a sense of resilience, a sense of discipline. Um, because even though music hasn't progressed into my life in terms of becoming a career, it taught me some big lessons. And I'll give you one quick story. So we were, I grew up in Canada and our, and our, our school um, competed at Epcot Center in Florida. So we were the only Canadian school to go down there. I must have been about 14 or 15 I was a second trumpet in the orchestra. There was probably a hundred of us in the in the whole on, on the whole thing. But to get to Florida, we had to um, raise the money. But sorry, what I was saying is that there was there was a point in uh, my life where we we needed to get the the band, as it were, well the orchestra, to Florida, and we sold oranges and grapefruits door to door. And so I be, I had to become a door to door salesman selling citrus fruit to generate enough money that the school would put kick in as well, and then we'd all get to Florida. So. I know that sounds a bit strange, but the rock for me was was learning sales and learning how to be resilient and, and learning how to go out there. And of course, it paved jump forward. However old I am now, I, I work in startups and I have to do that every day. And it harks back to the desire to go to Florida and and and, and compete. And then when we got to Florida, as I said, we were the, the only Canadian band, and I and I um, was going to do a trumpet solo for the jazz band. And this lesson I will never forget. My music teacher said. If you miss your cue or you, you suddenly get flustered because you're on stage, you have performance anxiety, just play within the scale and you'll be fine. No one will notice. Sit on it, is what he used to say to me. Sit on it. 
And I think what it taught me was, it, indeed, when it got to my intro and to, to the solo I was going to blow, I, I, I missed my cue and I was a bit confused and I was standing on this big stage at Epcot Center and I just, I just missed a beat. But then I, his advice kicked in and I sat on it and I just played random stuff, but within the scale. And um, I got a standing ovation. And I knew that I'd screwed up. I think probably most of my bandmates who'd rehearsed with me knew that I'd screwed up. Sorry, quiet doodles. I think most of my bandmates uh, knew that I screwed up. But the point was, give it a go and just make it your song, as you say. And it turned into, again, another life lesson for me, which was that you, you should try stuff. And as long as you try to get within the right lines and within the right boundaries, you'll succeed. So I think music taught me those two big lessons in life, which I still, to this day, um, are thankful for. And even though I don't play music anymore, at least I try to, but I just don't have the time. I can't dedicate myself full time. I have a feeling music gives you a lot of lessons in life. And the reason I bring that up is because when I read that music and the arts are the first thing to get cut in schools, um, I worry about the loss of, of those things, you know, like, you know, your story, my story, it all, it all goes back to music was a source of inspiration, a source of resiliency, a source of developing yourself, a source of, of, of expression. What's your view when you see these titles? Are you seeing it in the schools you're teaching that the music programs are getting cut in a big way? And what's your worry about that, if any? I think when I was growing up, coming through school, I always remember within the class, there was always more than one of us, always more than one pianist. There was two or three or four that had private lessons outside of school. And, and then when we got to school, we got to play, we got the opportunities to play. And it, was almost, it became competition within the people around us. And that's what I grew up with. I grew up knowing other people of my age playing the piano and having the opportunity to do so. And either they were taught by the same teacher I was, or there was other teachers out there. But what that meant was when we got to school, there was this competition to be that little bit better than the other person with us. Um, and, it, and as you say, I mean, as I've gone on and sort of created a business out of that, that sort of sense of competition, I suppose, kind of kicks in as well. As far as what I see in schools now, you know, I mean, the, the worrying thing for me is, you know, I walk into schools and some of them don't even have a piano. I mean, that's from a pianist's perspective, clearly. But, the, you know, the thought process of, you know, well, where's your piano gone? oh, no, we don't need it anymore because nobody plays it. Well, hang on. What about the other way around? If you've got a piano, are you giving them the opportunity to play it? If there's no piano there, then of course no one's going to play it. Without a piano there, nobody can play it. So you've taken away the opportunity. Rather, see what I'm saying? Rather, you know, it's, If it's not there, of course yeah. no one's going to play it. Whereas if it's there, at least there's that opportunity for somebody to do so. Um, it, it Obviously, as a musician, it frustrates me. And as a music teacher, it frustrates me when I hear... Um, that obviously is that, you know, and I've experienced it in jobs that I've done before, whereas, you know, if budgets need to be cut, I'm the first one, you know, sort of gone. And it does, because as you said, I mean, you've highlighted a couple of skills there that you gained from music. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate of the, I'm, I believe firmly that not every child is going to be academically excellent. They are not going to be an English scholar, a science scholar, a math scholar, they're not going to excel in what our, I suppose our education system deems as being the three most important things. Don't get me wrong, they're important, but not everybody's going to excel in them. If we start to take away the opportunities beyond English, maths and science, what are we telling our children that aren't going to excel in those things? What opportunities are we giving them to excel in other things? Uh, somebody who teaches PE would be in exactly the same situation as I am now. You know, if we're not creating opportunities in schools to have music, then we're not going to create the next amazing singer 
pianist, guitarist. And those people also aren't going to necessarily excel in English, maths and science. So what are they going to excel in during their school life? Are they just going to go through being a mediocre student, everything without this opportunity to be on a stage and play the piano or be on a stage and sing their heart out? If we're not creating those opportunities in school, we're taking away those opportunities for those kids to shine in something they might really, really enjoy. And that, I think, is where I see the sadness being, that we're taking away the opportunities for those kids to excel in something that isn't. I suppose, the mainstream. Yeah, I mean, I've confronted others with this, and I said, why are music and phys ed the first things to go? And just to, just just for a moment to dwell on the phys ed, all of the guidance now coming out post-pandemic are that people that were in shape or had knowledge of how to treat their bodies or exercise, even basic knowledge, tended to fare far better than people that, as, as you know, had core morbidities or were overweight. And that's just a fact of life. And I know that we're in a sort of a, sometimes a, we can say a woke, a woke culture or a, or a PC environment, but those are the facts of life. And so for phys ed, it worries me that if, if phys ed's the first thing to go, uh, or one of the first things to go, and music is, is in that basket, um, I, I suppose the only thing, again, the only argument I have heard was that STEM sub- subjects are measurable. Um, you know, that you can, you can analyze them. And I think in a in a world where an, um, data and analytics are huge, it's, it's, it's an easy win. Whereas music, how do you measure the value of music? How do you measure the value of his ed? Um, I, I happen to know it's not uh, qualitative, it's quantitative. No, it's other way around. It's not quantitative, it's qualitative is what I meant to say. Uh, quality of life, quality of imagination, quality of being able to tinker and, and play with ideas. And, and I found that, you know, when I try to articulate the value of what music did to me, it taught me to be to brainstorm, to jam. So when I played jazz, as I said, you, if you if you call it within the lines, you can actually create decent music, even if it's offbeat or whatever. Or you can go whole hog conservative and do orchestra, and you know everything fits fits in the, in a certain flow and everything, and and that's great. But it it, it gave me two sides of as I grew up, uh, uh, the ability to see two sides of things, chaos and order. So I think music has a huge value, um, and as you say. Not everyone's going to exceed uh, in the topics that are being taught, so why not have the fallback options? I know in France, for example, I'm told that music is core because it, it links to being a better citizen, which is uh, um, sort of core to their education system. They want you to be a good citizen first as you, as you get educated and then specialize when you get older. It seems to me what I see here is they try to get you to specialize sooner and narrow the field of topics and measure them and rate you against them versus giving you a broader set of tools. So I suppose where I go with this is if we, if many people, many parents realize the value of music and the schools aren't offering it, now switching to private Dan the Piano Man, if the schools aren't hiring you because you're on the slate for budget cut reasons, do you see an do you see a bigger demand on the private side? Because clearly those parents that that want to compensate for what the schools aren't doing. Uh, yes, I mean, obviously, I I am busy, and you know, I see lots of I have lots of piano students across the week, and actually, you know, a, a lot of the way that schools do get round, I suppose, not having a music program per se, is that they would hire somebody like me to go in and do piano lessons through the day. Um, so it might be that I go into school during the day and teach a number of students back to back. It's not necessarily funded by the school, but I'm a visual within the school teaching music, if that makes sense, and it's funded privately um, by the parents. My worry with that always is when it has to be funded privately, i.e. when parents have to pay for it, my worry always is that their music becomes elitist. 
because it can only be afforded by those that can afford it. And it's not, you know, I'm not, not here to reveal what I charge for a half hour, hour long lesson, but it's, it, it can build up. And especially at a time where we know where everything else is becoming more and more expensive as we get that, you know, we're getting to a real situation whereby parents are having to choose quite literally between maybe food on the table and son, daughter's music lesson. Um, so it's, it's about, you know, for me, if it's not being done in school, it's going to become increasingly harder for parents to look at other ways where it's, they're having to fund it for their kids to have their musical opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I am seeing a demand. You know, I, I get a lot of people that say to me, look, can you come and teach my child? Because they want to do music, but they're not getting much in school. Um, that's, a, you know, a genuine comment that I get. Um, but there's only so many people doing it and so much time that people have to do it. And children are busy. They have other things they want to do. And, you know, this time of year, you know, being tied to a piano for even half an hour is not necessarily something they want to do on a weekly basis. So it's, it's finding the balance as well. Um, it's, so, yeah, it is, it is, there is a demand for it. But it tends That's, to be outside of the educational process. Yeah, and, and I suppose there's a third element to this, which I wanted to come to. So if, if we know long range the benefits of music how they pay off in your life my life adults that might you know be inspiring and go back and say even though i may not be on stage doing music it helped craft certain skills i wonder if you've observed and this is something i've observed and i'll ask if you've seen it the same is 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 this burst of um online consumption and apps so for example my kids sort of have free reign over their ipads because actually they watch really good stuff they're not just watching you know, stupid TikTok videos of people knocking each other down. They're generally, I mean, my son who you teach is, is deep into science and comes into my room in the morning asking me about certain chemical compounds that I know we can't get because he's curious to build things and he watches all these videos. And And my other son uh, is very into trains. And so he goes deep on that kind of stuff. And so I, as a father, I don't fight screen time as, as, as much as others do. But what I do notice on, on, on the screen time they get it's very often uh, music apps come up. So learn guitar, learn piano. It, it almost feels too easy. And I know that even with apps, uh, um, you know, it takes time. So what I wonder is, as you describe, if the public sector slashes the budgets, the private sector cost of living is going up, private lessons get slashed. Is there potentially a third hope for music to s survive on and thrive through YouTube? Because I, I can't imagine when you were describing earlier when you got to a point where you wanted to become more self-taught or you preferred the gig freestyle, you know, there's a lot of musicians that can't write music and they're just really good because they just went out and did it. I just wonder if you see, you know, have you, have you, do you see any value in all these apps coming out, all these YouTube channels that are dedicated to teach you singing? There's even now ones where musicians sit there and react to other musicians' work and it seems to be a lot more collaborative. And during the pandemic, uh, there were Zoom sing-alongs and Zoom choirs. And, and I, I think you lose a lot by not being in a room with someone, as, as you imagine. But I just wonder if you saw a trend there that you see that, that gives you hope if private and public are, are competing for budget or, or getting elitist. Do you see that there's this other place you can go to, to, get, to get music in your life? I think if you'd asked me three or four years ago, I'd have struggled to see how a child, for example, could learn to play the piano without being with someone like me or another teacher or being with someone similarly i'd have argued the fact that you know how could you ever do something like a choir online ask me today after what we've obviously all been through in the last few years <clears throat> my views on choirs still don't change because over the um, pandemic period i had to lead choirs online 
And the one thing you didn't didn't ever get was feedback. I could never hear how my choir sounded because the minute I turned all their microphones on with different Wi-Fi connections and all the rest of it, they're never all singing at the same time. So as far as that experience, you speak to my choir members, they will tell you they never got their choir experience. They never got to be with the people they enjoyed being with. They never got to hear that overall sound. So there was ways around that. We got them to record bits and then we'd mix all that together and fire it back out to them so they could hear how they sounded. But I mean, that was, you know, that's a big undertaking. We did that two or three times through the pandemic. As far as the piano thing, let's look at that for a minute. I was, without much research and much kind of consumption myself, I was very against learning on an app. How could you possibly learn? You know, I've spent years honing my craft without the need of anything on a screen. Yet, I have a student who um, joined me post-pandemic. Um, I see him every week now face-to-face. But he spent his pandemic, his two years of lockdown, on Simply Piano. He found the app um, shortly after it started, and he dedicated his time over lockdown to learning the piano. When I met him, after two years of doing that, some of his playing was phenomenal. He knew where all the notes were on the piano. He could name the notes. He could tell you where they were. I could put a piece of music in front of him and he could sight read it. To take the app out of it, he could now read music in front of him. He'd spent his time doing that to the point that within three months of me meeting him, he'd taken his grade one exam and passed it with distinction. That wasn't all my teaching. I'd spent very little time with him. So I think the thing is, is an app will only be as good as the person going into it. And what I mean by that is, is you still have to be as dedicated to an instrument, even if you're learning through an app. Whether, whether I'm sitting there in front of you or whether you're sitting there in front of an app and it's supporting you, you still need that level of dedication, both whether you're on the app or practice, it still needs that level of work. So that's the one thing. I've seen other children start on the Simply Piano app and it hasn't enhanced their skills set any because they're still not practicing. They're still not putting into it what they need to do to kind of become um, maybe what they want to be. But yeah, that particular example of this boy really dedicated the time to it. And even now I go and see him every week and he's still dedicating as much time to the piano. So he's been able to make it work for himself. So there is, it is absolutely there, but you've still got to be dedicated to what you do. You do, because there's no such thing as overnight success, right? And, and, and that stands true in any field and anything you want to do. I'll, I'll, add a, um, I'll add something to what you just said. One of the interviews that I did for Spark Up Podcast, which um, I think it's one of the first episodes I did, was with someone named Mark Hercules, who founded a creative school in London. And this was in the 70s. Uh, around 2006, there was a famous TED Talk by um, Sir Kenneth Robinson. I think it was the most watched TED Talk saying, do schools kill creativity? And essentially, he explored that concept of how important creativity is, especially for the future, um, but yet it's being chopped down or sort of marginalized, or as you say, kids are all being rammed into boxes that they may not fit. But if you, t- if you have the time, go and watch that. But Mog Hercules um, said something very interesting to me, which is you have to, at any, at any age, be they four or five when they're starting school or later in, the, in, 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 in their education, as a teacher, you have one goal. It's to convince them that what they're going to learn is valuable and what and don't take their time up if it's if if it's not something that's going to benefit them. And I know that sounds, uh, you know, maybe a little hippy dippy. But she founded a very you know a very uh, good school, and they have a lot of students coming in from overseas, such places like China, where a lot of the creativity stuff's been completely taken out. Um, so she gets gets this influx of students. But the reason I bring up what she said is because the app will never tell you the value of the music; it will just run you through an onboarding process, right? Um, and, and, and I've, I've done it with my, with my son as well. And it's, it, it, 
he he wants to jump ahead because me, I already know this stuff. So it doesn't sort of it doesn't have the human readability. And you you'll very quickly see because of your experience where people have strengths and weaknesses, where they need a bit more help, where they need to start, but also to identify how you're going to occupy their time in a way that's going to get them to the next level or make them see the benefit. And, and, and I think that's the benefit of what you do, obviously, is to spark that joy and to spark that interest. Now, if they want to supplement with apps or they want to supplement with YouTube channels and whatnot, that's a, a deep well they can go to. But as you say, I don't, I don't, I see value in the private and the public thing, just fundamentally getting kids into music and explaining to them why it's valuable for them to do it. Um, why is music going to help them? And, and, anything they want to do and it, it has applications across no matter what they want to do in life music has an application somewhere in some way we've identified a few in our discussion so I, I find that fascinating and I think that as a teacher you 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 have to fight that battle if people are cutting budgets you sort of have to say well what's the opportunity cost really of music it's huge it's massive and and now I'm seeing other schools come up that are specializing just in that and parents are very clearly you know, worry. They don't want their, their kids to be hammered into to boxes. And so music plays that crucial role. I suppose, I suppose my final question to you is, you know, um, what were some of the most inspiring stories that you saw in the pandemic of people keeping the flame of music alive? Um, were there any particular students that jumped out or, as I said, showed particular dedication? I mean, I had to say so through that period of time when I, I mean, when that all kicked off and I thought, well, crumbs, how, how, how on earth am I going to run my business? Everything I do is face to face. And it was a real panic of, you know, I have to make a living here. And then within days, it became very apparent that, well, actually, everybody wants to find a way. Everybody wants to find a way for their child to continue their piano lessons. Everybody wants to find a way for the choirs to keep going. Everybody was looking for opportunity. So for me, the first thing that struck me was, is actually, we're not going to lose our music or my child is not going to lose his or her music because actually over this period of time, however long it's going to be, that's clearly something that they felt they were going to need. And me included. I was more than happy to see, you know, Zoom lessons filling up and, okay, the choirs weren't ideal over that period of time, but at least it meant I got to see a different 20 or 30 faces throughout the week, albeit on a screen. So it, it did as much for me as it did for them. But I think for me, you know, I, some students crave and need that face-to-face -face. they need to see another person in that week they need to see me or whoever is teaching them and so for them zoom really wasn't for them because all they were doing especially if they were doing school through zoom as well it was just another zoom call or whatever microsoft teams or whatever um however for some of them i've got you know a lot of students and it tended to be not being very you know over generalistic but some of the sort of the slightly older boys, so sort of late primary school into secondary school, who like their tech as well, well, suddenly having a piano lesson whilst they're able to have their iPad out or a big screen out and work out how to make the sound better, suddenly it added an extra dimension to it. So hang on, I'm not just doing music now, I'm doing a bit of music technology here because I've got to make it work through a, an online function and got to be able to speak to my teacher and I've got to be able to show him what I can play. So it became a bit more of a challenge for them. But I've got um, a child who's doing, I say a child, I mean, he's in secondary school, but he's doing his grade four exam uh, in two weeks time. And I haven't yet seen him face to face to teach him any of that stuff. He has excelled in the ability to, he comes to me every week and we call every week like an online performance. So he comes with what he's developed that week. And it's, it's a very, rather than being able to see him and develop, in, you know, literally on the spot, 
I listen to what he's got that week and it builds week on week. And then I send him away with another set of challenges and the following week becomes a new performance of that. And as I said, he's got his exam in two weeks time and the pieces are sounding absolutely fantastic. I am going to see him face to face tomorrow for the first time in however long, just to make sure. Um, but he has excelled in the online process um, and it's, it's really helped him. And the other thing it's allowed him to do is every now and then I get a little message from him saying, oh, can I pop online to check this bit? Can I pop online to check that bit? So it's created that opportunity to maybe be a bit more accessible. Whereas obviously I can't just get in the car and go and see, or any of my students, I couldn't just get in the car. So he's created almost through his ability, a bit more accessibility through the week. And it, it might just be two minutes. I just want to play this bit to you, Daniel. Oh yeah, got it. And we're off and we're done and I'll see him again. So he's created that and that's, that's worked really well. It strikes me as you, as you tell this story that, well, two things strike me. One, there is at a very deep human level, the need to collaborate and the need to jam and the need to, you know, check, check, check your echo with other people. Um, and it's a phen phenomenal that he did that. And I think the other phenomenal thing, and I observed it in my own house was the, um, the tech hacking so as much as, you know, we had iPads and stuff, very quickly he, we were figuring out how AirPlay works. So you could put it on the TV. Well, the sound's not good. Let's get on the speaker. And so I, I think that's fundamental, you know, to understanding your equipment. Um, uh, I was thinking about uh, Dr. Dre, who's a famous rapper when I was growing up. And, and one of the things that stood out to me, he's, he was very technically proficient. He was constantly hacking together, mixing boards and, and record scratches and beats and loops and 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 that's fun, and I I do encourage my son on on things like GarageBand. Yeah, well, I was sorry. just about to say I do think. I mean, as we get talk about schools again, I do think that's and actually through the whole education system at primary level, especially, that's something that that's we're a little bit slow to catch up on. I think the kids are moving faster technology wise than we're able to keep up with. Yeah. And music technology is such a big thing. And I think as music develops, it's going to become, you know, more and more, you know, I'm sitting here with keyboards that I know how to use them, but they're now sort of 10, 15 years old. But I don't change because if I was to update it, I'd, have, I'd need to get a child in to tell me how to use it. But I do think that it's one of the things that I try and keep up with. And I mean, there are lots of children out there that are finding all these fantastic things that I just, it's because they have the time to investigate it and find it. And, you know, then they're coming up, you know, with these amazing bits of technology that are making these amazing bits of music and that should never be underestimated. It might not be a traditional piano or guitar or flute, but they're still creating music in a very new way. And that, that should be just as exciting as anything as traditional as a piano. That gives me hope. I mean, it, it strikes me, you know, the, the question I said is what, what's the, what's the alternative to budget cuts both privately and publicly. And it sounds like hacking, you know, there's still this innate, thing and kids they want to hack and if they can hack music and hack loops and hack do things together i think it'll live on and i have a lot of hope for you know music growth and 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 music actually for me is as it's a universal language as as is coding and the two go hand in hand and so whenever i hear someone say you have to teach your kid coding i say okay interesting but if you if you teach music as well there's sequencing and there's all the things that you know the the framework that coding uses then if you introduce them to coding and they know music it's like just, you know, an extension of what they already know. And so I think when I hear, and I came back, come back to the example I used before, when schools say, well, we're going to put budget into coding because we can measure that, we can do tests, we can formalize it, we can do bell curves, we can, but music, we're not so, okay, so let's put our money in there. It's missing a fundamental step, which is that actually you can learn the fundamentals of coding through music first and embed joy and embed 
collaboration and embed all the other skills that that go with music and coding is an extension of that it strikes me that that isn't thought of that way but having now grown up as someone who who works heavily in tech i can very much see that my ability i i i'm like you there's stuff that i've got that's 10 15 years old that i know how to use and my son comes flying in with update 6.8 point whatever and i don't i can't i have to let him tell me what the features are and how it's going to change my life which is great but at the same time i think that at least I had a head start because I did music, because I understood sequencing, because I understood collaboration, because I understood those core principles. By the time I grew up and, and, and the tech boom came along, I was in a great position because I could at least parse what was going on around me. I could parse conversations. I could understand what people were talking about framework-wise, and I had the vocabulary to, to, you know, to move it forward. There's, a, there's an expression that Albert Einstein has, which is if you can't express your theory to a child in very simple terms, you don't have a theory. It's too complicated. It'll never leave your head. Um, and so, so music helps with that, doesn't it? It helps you parse things. It helps you simplify things. It's a fundamental life skill. Um, anyway, I've rambled and I've taken, I've taken much of your time, but uh, you know, I appreciate you joining today. And I just wanted to offer you say, any final words or any final observations on how we can spark music in children. It was just picking up on something you said at the beginning of all of that. And for me, music has to be joyful it has to be an enjoyable thing um i would hate to think that any child that i teach or any adult that i teach is doing it because they're feeling forced as a thing to do it music has to be a joy whether that's technical music whether that's sitting a piano music whether that's singing a song whether that's finding an amusing song on youtube or whatever it is for me music is a joy it has to be a joy and it has to and when we're trying to communicate that to children it has to be a joyful thing um and it doesn't matter how it's created, it's just got to create that joy in people. Um, and that's, that's really why I've been, you know, music's been such a large part of what I've done. I think at the point that I stopped enjoying it, I, would, I couldn't do it any longer. You, you know, I still enjoy what I do and I still enjoy being able to perform and teach and all the rest of it. And I, hopefully everybody I see within all of that also continues to enjoy it as well. Hundred percent. It is a human art, and as humans, it's it's as you say, you can't ram it down someone's throat, and it's got to they've got to flow into it. Well, thanks for joining today. I really appreciate your time, Dan. And thank uh, you. And uh, hopefully, the music will live on. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. Uh, if you like what you hear, you can dive into a lot more on thesparkhub.com.